Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that we can all agree that God, our Heavenly Father, wants us to talk about Him, to believe in Him, and to trust in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, as our Savior. Scripture repeatedly supports this position. As an example, look to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or to Deuteronomy 4.12. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We could spend days and days reading Scripture to support this view. It is very meet, right, and salutary for Christians to talk about Christ. Satan and his legions, on the other hand, want you to forget all about them and that they even exist so that they can work their evil and tempt you to sin against God and against other people with no one being the wiser. They would like nothing better than for me to stand here this morning and rationalize for you that it really wasn't a demon that Jesus drove out of this man. He, he merely had a mental illness of some sort. They'd prefer that I give you the latest medical information about dopamine and serotonin or norepinephrine receptors in the brain and explain away the man's condition as nothing more than some sort of chemical imbalance that Jesus tweaked back into normal. Certainly through our gifts of curiosity and intellect that God had given us, Many harmful human behaviors can now be better understood and explained. We are learning more and more about the conditions and the causes of mental illness all the time. These damaging behaviors, though, are the residual effect of our fall into sin. Every bit as much as our cancer and war or hurricanes or adultery or corruption or earthquakes or abortion. But to explain away that man's condition in Capernaum as mental illness that was simply not understood in that age is to deny the witness of the Holy Spirit. It also rejects the authority of Scripture for Luke was given what to write by a God who created and knows all things and certainly knows the difference between the effects of chemistry and the presence of Satan. Are you so omniscient that you can determine whether a person is deranged by chemicals or deranged by demons? Even with a toxicology screen, you can't be sure that you know it all. Fast forward for a moment to Luke chapter 8. Demons there asked to be transferred into a herd of pigs. Would a chemical imbalance ask not to be destroyed? These were in fact demons, and today's lesson is talking about demons. Not about unsentient chemicals and not about mental illness. There are real evil spirits out there subordinate to Satan who would like nothing more than for us to forget that they exist. Look at what St. Paul says in Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus tells us to pray for deliverance from the evil one. The evil one. An entity, not an abstraction not a condition. Satan and his demons are real, an ever-present threat to our walk with Christ. The good news is that when Christ was crucified, Satan was crushed. 
When Jesus rose again, Satan was defeated. We know his final outcome. However, never underestimate the power of a dying enemy. He is defeated, but still able to lie and to deceive and to flatter you into being self-centered and forgetting about Christ. Satan would have you think that there is a secular life on the one hand and a spiritual life on the other. That's because he wants you to compartmentalize God, to give him just an hour or so once a week when it's convenient for you or when there's seemingly nothing else more interesting to do on Sunday morning. C.S. Lewis once wrote, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. We live in a battlefield, even when we might be in tranquil meadows or on calm waters or among whispering trees. We are in a spiritual struggle. Both God and Satan want to rule your life. Every person on planet earth worships, serves, witnesses to, and supports either the work of God or the work of the demonic. Sometimes in alternating episodes or even from one moment to the next. This struggle, though, should not upset us. Its absence should. Its presence indicates that your faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord is alive and that you are fighting a genuine war against the satanic realm. If you feel no struggle, then you are under Satan's control. St. Augustine, a bishop in North Africa in the early 5th century, rightly observed that every single person has a God-shaped vacuum in his soul. You can attempt to fill this hole with a host of other things, but ultimately nothing satisfies your hunger for meaning and significance except Jesus and His saving Gospel. We do try to fill this God-shaped hole with money or power or fun or alcohol or food or violence or gambling or sex or sports cars or Super Bowl parties. And there's an endless list of glittering distractions out there that in the end still leave us empty. Some of these things in balance and in the proper circumstances, of course, can be quite harmless or even very beneficial. Yet the pursuit of them can also become your own personal demons. Ask any admitted alcoholic or drug addict or compulsive gambler if you want verification. Jesus drove out this man's demon. And he can drive out your demons too. Are you willing though? Do you actually want them driven out or do you like your demon-infested life? The master liar, Satan, tells you that you deserve your spiritual vices and you can fill that void with pleasure, with things, with chemicals, with excitement, with living on the edge or especially outside of God's protective boundaries. He tells you that when your current activities no longer satisfy, just up the dose of it. Take more. Use more. Party more. Drink more. Eat more. Flaunt more. Without your realizing what is happening or how it happens, suddenly Satan is in total control. You soon are living exclusively for yourself, addicted to a substance or to a behavior, and you have no idea why your soul feels so empty. These things are progressive. They start out small and require higher and higher doses to achieve momentary pleasure. But inevitably, it gets replaced with permanent misery. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 describes how Satan operates as an angel of light. He approaches you with a pleasant smile on his face and says, come on, 
Let me teach you how to live life to the fullest. Be number one. Why, it's all perfectly legal and acceptable to others. You owe it to yourself. You deserve this. Enjoy the fruits of your success. God had nothing to do with it. It was all your hard work. To gain control, Satan does not need to persuade you to live an openly wicked life. He needs only persuade you to live a self-centered life. You're not to live here comfortably, though, but to live usefully to the glory of God and in service to others in all that you do, in your daily work, in your education, your family life, your leisure activities, your use of money, and in service to the body of Christ. Sometimes Satan is less subtle, though. He lures, he lures many into the dark world of horoscopes and mediums, psychic readers, transcendental meditation, and even worship of him. Remember, it's all progressive. It just sneaks up on you. Thanks be to God, though, our sanctification is also progressive. Consider our congregation's namesake, St. Paul. We first meet him in Acts 7. Still called Saul at that time, he is present at the murder of St. Stephen, and soon he begins to persecute the church. He had believers arrested and imprisoned. He threatened the followers of Christ. He asked the high priest for authority to go to Damascus so he could capture and bring back any believers. Talk about being overzealous for the wrong team. On the road to Damascus, of course, he is met by the risen and ascended Christ. And three days later, his dramatic conversion took place as he was baptized and received the preaching of the gospel from Ananias. Soon Saul himself was publicly preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. He had been moved from the camp of Satan to the camp of Christ, and therefore made himself an enemy of the unbelieving Jews in the process. Nevertheless, Paul escaped and came to meet the disciples whom he had once persecuted. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. When his life was again endangered, he, the Jerusalem disciples helped him escape to Tarsus. And in a very short time, by becoming a believer, the hunter, Saul, became the hunted, Paul. Paul laid low, laid low for a while out in Arabia, intensely studying those scriptures that he already knew very well as a Pharisee, but now from a whole new perspective, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then Barnabas found Paul, and his ministry shifted into high gear. From Paul's receiving faith in Christ came spiritual growth and sanctification. He learned contentment as his words in Philippians 4 convey. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He also instructs us in 1 Thessalonians 5, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not completely free from the struggle with evil. His words in Romans 7 verify this. When I want to do good, evil is right with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? The answer, of course, is Christ Jesus, the only one who can save you from your wretchedness, from your imprisonment to sin, from your warfare with Satan, and from your body of death. Jesus Christ, crucified for Paul's sins and for yours. We could spend days studying the life of Paul as well, giving thanks to God for Paul's conversion and his sanctification. You might also find it beneficial and productive to study your own life, recollecting and repenting of all that you've done to aid the devil's cause. On the heels of that, though, you are to turn in faith and give thanks for your rescue in the waters of baptism and in your sanctification by the Spirit's work in your heart. You can use these gifts and use the strength that God gives you to the fullest extent possible. You can daily turn your will and your life over to the care of God, resisting less and making fuller use of the Holy Spirit to be freed of your controlling sinful behaviors of both mind and body, your own personal demons. A mind filled with wrong beliefs and with negative thoughts generates harmful feelings and harmful actions. Ephesians 4, 22-24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul also tells us in Romans 12 too, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God Himself renews your mind. The Holy Spirit, working through word and sacrament, renews and strengthens you. As God gives you these gifts, you can anticipate receiving also the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This renewal will be a work in process in this life, and it will only come to completion and perfection in the world to come. But trust in God always. He does make powerful changes in the lives of sinful people like you and me. Your part in this is nothing more than to receive God's gifts and to not fight against Him. So do not receive the grace of God in vain. Make fuller use of His gift of the Holy Spirit. Put into practice the life that the Holy Spirit inspires and enables. Surrender yourself to God and ask Him to do what you cannot do for yourself. By the Spirit's power, you can turn your will over to God and His life-transforming power. By His strength and by His Word, you can experience freedom from your demons. There will be setbacks, for Satan continually prowls this earth. You may, like Paul at times, find yourself doing what you do not want to do. 
Yet as you daily repent and turn your life over to God, a new person will emerge, strengthened against your demons of sin and temptation. May He teach you with astonishing words and with His power on this Sabbath and on every day. May He drive out all your demons and may they do you no harm. And may reports of Him flow from your lips to all the surrounding region. For with authority and with power, Jesus commands your unclean spirits and they come out. In His holy name, Amen.